we're in a series uh, recently, right now, we're in week three of a series called Wilderness, Snapshots Through Exodus, and we have been using these snapshots to reflect on our own wilderness-like or desert-like seasons in our lives, whether uh, we're relating that possibly to this last year, you know, the globe walking through this pandemic, or maybe it's been a particular season in your life that's related to your relationships or finances or other parts of, of your life, of your faith. And uh, the wilderness is a unique thing, and, and the, the desert is a unique thing. And I was reminded of, of actually the, the Star Wars universe or the Star Wars stories. I don't know if you catch this, but I mean, it's pretty hard not to notice. Almost, well, pretty much every Star Wars movie or show always has a desert scene. It seems like the, 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 the planets they go to live on uh, or they go to, to visit all have these desert scenes, these desert moments. And there, some of them are beautiful and really, really cool. But then often what happens is not, um, you know, uh, not good things always happen in the desert. In fact, people often find crazy things that happen in the desert. They get attacked in the desert. And often we see these scenes where people in Star Wars get attacked in the desert. And it's, uh, it's, it's just a recurring thing. And it reminds me of this, that we will, you and I, have experienced this. We will get attacked in wilderness-like seasons. We will have things creep up uh, towards us or approach us or uh, an unprovoked attack or something that feels like an attack in our lives. And today, this is what I want to talk about today, the attacks during these wilderness-like seasons. And we have a snapshot in Exodus where Israel is attacked. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus 17. And here's this uh, snapshot in this part of the story as Israel's moving from Egypt to the Promised Land. And they're walking through the desert and they're walking through the wilderness. And here's this scene. It starts in verse 8. Exodus 17 says this. We'll just read the whole thing because it's pretty short. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady st till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under the heavens. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. And he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. God, as we just look at this snapshot today, uh, grab a hold of our hearts, grab a hold of our attention, and help us to see as your spirit leads us to um, what you want to teach us and what we learn from and how you want to guide us, God, in wilderness-like seasons in our own lives. 
Hey, here's, here's this moment, right? This season or this snapshot when Israel's in the wilderness. Now they're, they're way into their journey uh, through the desert. They're, they're far away from what they knew and they're still far away from where they're headed. And they have already faced a lack of water and a lack of food, which can happen in desert-like moments, especially the real ones. And so Israel knows the struggle is real. We talked about that last week. But now in this moment, It's not just a lack of water or food. This is like an attack on them, a physical attack, a dangerous attack. And in the wilderness, in the desert, especially at that point in history, but even today, it can be scary. There can be dangerous moments in the wilderness. And, you know, you can imagine in those time periods, there were people or groups called nomads, nomads who were walking the desert. Not all nomads were necessarily bad, but small or large groups roaming. But some of them had an evil intent. Some of them had a desire to um, attack or gain something. And here we have Israel that's attacked by the Amalekites. Uh, Some versions just use uh, Amalek's name in terms of kind of like where this is sourced in in history from, from that person. This is an unsolicited attack. We just read that they came and attacked Israel. There's no reason given. Maybe this group of people felt threatened as they saw this huge, you know, kind of uh, group of people just coming through the, the desert. Maybe it was malicious. There was just pure malice. Who knows? Maybe there was a greed in there as they saw this group of people and the, the cattle or the, the livestock or the things that they had, or they thought, oh, well, maybe we can get something out of this. We really don't know fully from this snapshot, but we do get a glimpse from Israel's memory that was recorded later on that this was a little bit of a cheap move. And it's, it's in um, Deuteronomy chapter 25. And here's what the writer says about this moment looking back. The writer says, verse 17, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So we get from this memory, right, in Deuteronomy 25, that they come from behind. They they attack them when they're weak and when they're weary. They target those lagging behind, and it seemed to be unprovoked. So this is the kind of attack that they're getting as they're walking through the desert. Now, if you don't know much about Amalek's history or the Amalekite history, they were actually known to Israel, at least probably in story, because the Amalekites were the Israelites' cousins. In fact, Amalek and the 12 sons of Jacob had the same great-grandfather named, many of you guys might guess it, Abraham. Jacob's brother Esau had a son named Eliphaz, and that son had another son named Amalek. Now, does Amalek know that he's attacking his cousins? We don't know. Is this premeditated? We don't know. We do know that there's going to be a theme throughout Scripture that uh, the Amalekites keep coming up because over the years, they become a constant threat to Israel, a constant attack towards Israel. We read it in the stories of Saul, in the stories of David. We read it all the way into the book of Esther, where Esther, uh, God uses Esther to rescue Israel from a man named Haman, who's also an Amalekite who wants to destroy Israel. This theme 
throughout the Old Testament, and this idea of the Amalekites are etched in Jewish memory. In fact, after World War II, one of Israel's presidents at that time called Hitler a 20th century Amalekite, referring to Hitler as that person who would attack Israel. I'm not making the whole connection here, but you can imagine the metaphor. This, talk about a family wound that runs decades, centuries, even millennia, that someone years later would keep this metaphor fresh in their minds. Now, Amalek or the Amalekites in this snapshot in Exodus, it was really real for them. It was just a real attack in the desert. But it becomes a metaphor for attacks in our wilderness experience, in our desert experience, in our lives, because the wilderness will often include attacks. Attacks will often come when we're at our weakest, just like Israel was weary and weak. Attacks will often come when we're in the middle of a struggle, when our thoughts, our emotions, our relationships, our health, our productivity feels low, feels weak. It's usually during an already stressed time, You know this, like with a friend, when you're stressed, you're likely to have an argument with a friend. If you're having like a conflict with your spouse uh, one day, you should probably consider that you might be stressed in some other areas because it often leads to conflict. You know that often when you're stressed out, your discernment is tested, your capacity is hit, even your health can tend to be affected. We can then start receiving these attacks. Attacks come in different seasons. It can be a wilderness-like season. It can be a regular part of life. It can also be in the context of our life following Jesus, where we're attacked in, towards living out God's purpose for our lives as we trust Jesus as Lord. Attacks aim to hurt us, often cripple us, or cripple our journey or our progress, often defeat us. Attacks will often want to feed us lies. There's different natures in different attacks. Now, more than a lack of food, more than a lack of water, this attack discouraged Israel from moving forward. It would have discouraged them. They're on their way to something that God's promising them. They're already nervous. They've already seen that Egypt wanted to to destroy them. They've already felt the lack of food and water. And now this attack comes. Who wouldn't be discouraged? In this moment, Moses moves to what I I guess I could call self-defense, right? He, he comes to the aid of the weak, to the aid of the struggling. You can imagine if, if, if the Amalekites uh, hit those at the, the end of the line, those that were maybe weaker, those that were straggling behind. It could have been nursing moms. It could have been the elderly. It could have been some of the disabled in their, in their, in their uh, community. And so they hit the weakest ones. And Moses moves to defend them. And he sends Joshua, not just anyone, but one of his best men to neutralize this threat. It's a unique scene, right? Joshua is engaged in this battle, neutralizing this threat. Moses seems to be engaged in prayer. It doesn't say this exactly. We don't read the word prayer in this story, but his hands are up and they're positioned to draw strength from God. He's using the staff that God has instructed him to use in other moments when God came through 
And then we read later in verse 15, he builds an altar in a sense to remind him that God brought him through safety. In fact, he uses a word for God that might be new to us. It's, it's Jehovah Nisi or Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. Or you might even translate it, the Lord is my victory. So we know, we know that, that Moses' hands up in some way demonstrate that he was heavily dependent on God to overcome this attack, that he later attributes their safety to the Lord, their banner, their victory. Now notice something that's different from this situation to the Red Sea. In the Red Sea, they're walking through. They never... Uh, think of responding to Egypt. Uh, they're not even prepared to. They just walk through and God says, be silent, trust me, I'm going to take care of this. They walk through, they trust God through it. In Rephidim, it seems like they're doing a mix of both. They're acting, they're getting involved, but they're also trusting God. And this is so helpful for you and me when we face attacks in the wilderness seasons of our lives. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean we pick up a sword and send our bodyguard or crush someone along the way. I want to be very careful not to just read the principle of vengeance or violence into this story. But what I do mean is that so often you hear this Christian cliche, let go and let God. And there is room for what that means in certain situations where we're overly invested, where we're overly trying to control and manipulate, where we must let God work. But it also means that there is a part of this sometimes where letting God sometimes means our partnership involved as well. When you and I pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If I pray that prayer for my neighborhood, do I just sit back on my lawn chair and say, God, you just work in the neighborhood? Or do I engage? Do I love? Cross the street and help a neighbor? Do I reflect God's kingdom, God's goodness on my street? Of course. When we pray the prayer, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, do we just sit back and say, you know what, Lord, I know there's, there's hunger uh, down the street in my neighbor's house. Um, you know, no, no. When I pray, Lord, give me this day my daily bread, I'm also aware of the needs around me. And I start getting involved in God using me to be an instrument to bring bread to a neighbor's house or someone in need in my neighborhood, in my world. Here's kind of like what I think about this. Here's some examples. You lose, someone loses their job. Of course we lean into God's power. But it doesn't mean you don't write the CV. It doesn't mean you don't go to the interview. It doesn't mean you don't network. You might fall into debt over a season of, of overspending. And you're just like, oh my gosh, God, please provide. And you ask people to pray for you but you never actually decide to pay the credit card. You never look at your budget and say, where can I save some money here? God, give me wisdom in how I can do this. You wound your spouse one day in, in a way that you know has hurt them. And so you pray, Lord, please, you know, restore our relationship today. God, bring some healing here. But you never humbly confess. You never do anything to build some steps to rebuild trust. No, we do both, right? We engage, we act, and we lean on God's power and see God at work. Here's what I'm getting at. It's, I wrote it on the screen this way. There are, moments, there are moments when God calls us to do nothing and merely trust him. And there are moments when we partner with God to neutralize the attack. 
Let me say that again. There's moments when God calls us to do nothing and merely trust him. And there's moments when we partner with God to neutralize the attack. And here's maybe a situation we can learn from this snapshot. Now, just as a side note, and maybe you can discuss this in the discussion group tomorrow night uh, or dig into it or throw a question out to me or others in our church community. But it is interesting that, you know, kind of weird that God says, I'm going to blot out the memory of Amalek. And we don't know how to interpret that right now in this moment. Some people will immediately create a principle out of this that God always destroys our enemies. A couple of things. One is, without getting into details, you and I don't understand what it means to walk through a desert with hundreds of thousands of people and nomads potentially wanting to rape the women and steal your sheep. We, we don't know what that feels like. That's kind of what they were feeling like. We uh, don't fully understand the rebellion in Amalek's heart. He becomes, or they become, the people, a constant attack on God's purposes. We also, we don't know 100% if Joshua actually killed anybody. In ancient Near Eastern language, the use of overcoming by the sword or defeat by the sword could also be language for victory, for we came through, for this attack was neutralized. And then we also know that specifically, Moses uses this phrase, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner, our victor. In other words, God has brought us through this. So we don't know exactly. uh, I want to be careful to just paint a picture here. And that's just a little side rabbit hole trail that I wanted to explore. And maybe we can explore another time. But I want us, because it just opens up some questions, right? It does point us to the confrontation of injustice and evil that God is always against Jesus eventually in the scriptures will call us to wait and pray for our enemies. But one day, God will judge. God will punish evil and injustice. So you can hash that out in the discussion group tomorrow night. Um, But here's here's a few things as we wrap this up. What do we learn in this wilderness-like moment? What do we learn about the attacks in these wilderness-like seasons? Brief things. First thing is, we must learn to be prepared for attacks. What am I, what am I talking about? Moses was prepared. He, he knew to call Joshua. We don't see much hesitation here. He was kind of anticipating that something like this would happen and potentially an attack against them would have to be neutralized. In other words, Moses wasn't naive about the wilderness. Moses wasn't naive about the attacks that would come. Attacks will come. The wilderness will, ha- will be tough. There will be struggles. And you and I will face attacks on our relationships, on our emotional maturity, on our discernment, on various parts of our lives, what it means even to follow Jesus. The heart here is, the, the point of this is, let's be prepared anticipating that attacks will come and not be naive that they'll never come. So let's be looking for them, anticipating them, learning to discern them. Now, at least to the next idea that I think we learn from this text is that not just to prepare for attacks when they come, but to seek perspective on the actual attack because every attack will look different, might have a different source, a different purpose, comes from a different place. I love what Moses does, and it's a physical image for us to gain perspective. Moses takes a step back and actually elevates himself up on an elevated platform with um, uh, 
uh, oh my gosh, the two people that were with him, and I just lost it for a second. <laughs> uh, so Aaron and her. And so you got to get this understanding. He, Joshua goes to neutralize the attack, but as he, he steps back to help him see from a better perspective. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, but I appreciate this step. Because so often, I, I know in my own life, when I hit an issue with my family, if I just stay stuck in that bubble, I need to sometimes step back and look at, that perspective, look at it from a different perspective. If I feel like somebody's criticizing me as a leader or as a pastor, sometimes I can just get quickly defensive. But if I can step back for a moment and gain perspective and say, where is this coming from? Why are they saying this? Is there a kernel of truth in what they're saying about me? to gain perspective. Why? So we can discern and understand the attacks or what attacks us, the what, the who, the where, the source, even the why behind it. Something in this story is messy, and we can't untangle it right now, but this is messy for Israel. The Amalekites were their cousins. They were like their extended family. What do you do with that? The Amalekites are also a broken people, It might look so black and white when you just take that one singular moment, but sometimes the source of your attacker or your attacker needs understanding. It's interesting, but when we read the Old Testament, this is the beauty of the Old Testament. It's messy, it's complicated, it's raw, but it's real when you look at the context and the story and the implications. In fact, next week, the snapshot we're looking at next week is another cousin, another extended family. And... um, We'll, we'll check out that story next week, so tune in. But the nature of the attack is important, and that's why we need perspective. Is it, is it, in our own lives, is it physical? Is it circumstantial? Is it because of our circumstances? Is it because of how we're feeling physically? Is it consequential? Have we done something, and that has caused something to happen, and now it's consequential? Is it spiritual? Is it emotional? This is so important because if we just pause for a second and take perspective, sometimes you're grumpy all day and you just really need an hour extra of sleep. Like that's all you need. And you're mad at everybody and you think everybody's attacking you. But if you just went to bed an hour earlier or uh, slept a little better, maybe that would be a little bit of discernment. Maybe it's what you're eating and you haven't eaten toast or had a banana in the morning and your brain is like blurred and you're just treating everybody in a bad way or you think everybody's upset. I don't know. I know that in my own life, uh, on an emotional, spiritual side, if I'm not connecting with God regularly or even um, like some of the spiritual reading or other reading I do, I know that when I do those things, uh, I, I just I, I feel more prepared for, for life. I feel more prepared for the things that go on in my day. So sometimes when we take perspective, we step back, we say, what's causing this? And do I even have anything to do with this? Or how can I read this better? And then our perspective helps us respond well. Then it leads to to this other part. It's prayer. Moses' gut reaction was, I got to pray. Or I got to depend on God. Lifts up his his hands in dependence to God. But more than just prayer, notice what happens. He has a partnership of prayer. Aaron and her, they go with him. And then when he gets tired, they help him. And then they keep his hands up during that time. So here's my question to you. Who's on your speed dial? Who's on your text context, text, uh, texting context? Who, who can you, in a moment, call and invite to pray for you? 
I was in New York City once at a, at a small conference, and um, there was a fashion executive, an executive in the fashion industry that was uh, sharing his story and just what it meant to be a Christian in the fashion industry in New York City. He loved what he did. He loved the creativity. He loved the business side. But he said that the culture was sometimes so destructive and difficult. And he, this is what he would do. He would, if things would get hard or the, the, the culture at the office that day was destructive or damaging or in a way that really either rubbed against his, uh, the life of the kingdom or was depleting the life of the kingdom out of him, he'd go, to the, uh, he'd go to the bathroom, get himself in a stall, and he'd speed dial a friend. Or he'd text a friend. He's like, I need prayer for this right now. I need prayer in this moment. And it was an amazing example of partnership in prayer when we feel like we're being depleted or struggling in the wilderness. Just this last Thursday, a Thursday morning early every month or so, I meet with a few guys for prayer, and most of them are involved in business, and we, we share and pray together, read some scripture together, and um, encourage each other. And, you know, it's amazing where, how we can, we can pray for each other as well. And just this week, one of the guys just shared very openly, like he was at the end of his ropes for something. And he's just like, I, I really need to depend on God for this. And we just stopped everything. For about 10 minutes, each of us just prayed and interceded for him, stood by him and stood for him and interceded for him on his behalf. Last Wednesday night when we prayed on Zoom together as a church, people in the Zoom call just started praying for other people. You were probably mentioned. Some of you were mentioned in those prayers because you came to mind and someone prayed for you. That's a partnership in prayer which we desperately need in the wilderness and all throughout our lives. And now I'm, I'm on with this one, and it's this promise that we see. Because this moment when Moses realizes that the Lord is his banner, the Lord is his victor, he recognizes that God is one who fights for justice and fights against injustice, that he confronts evil and we know that God will confront evil and injustice and that in the new creation, one day there will be no more tears and no more pain. And that the promise that we see glimpses of in Scripture is that one day God, in all of his sovereignty, when there's no obstacles, will completely um, bring everything to rights. But here, here's the struggle for you and me. We know that's a promise we hold on to. We know that's a promise of the new creation. We read the beautiful picture in Revelation at the end. And you got to hold on to that. But right now, we're in the middle of that. Right now, we will still hit wilderness seasons. Right now, we live between creation and new creation. Right now, we still live between the resurrection and new creation. But here is still some promises for you because Jesus promised to intercede for us. He promised to, to sit by the Father's right side, and pray for you and me. He intercedes for us. He is seeking our good and standing in the gap for us. He is our ultimate prayer partner. And Jesus told his disciples when anticipating that he was going to leave the realm of earth and move into the heavenly realm, God's space, he said, I'm going to send someone just like me. It's God's Holy Spirit. He is an advocate for you. He's going to advocate for you. Here's this promise you and I have. 
in these wilderness seasons. Yes, we must be prepared. Yes, we must seek perspective so we can discern how to respond. Yes, we must pray and partner in prayer. But here's this beautiful promise. One, new creation is there on the horizon. But two, Jesus intercedes for you and he's left us his Holy Spirit to advocate for us in these moments of attacks. I'm going to close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we read throughout the scriptures that ultimately you do confront evil and injustice. And we thank you and we hold on to that promise. But God, we also recognize that uh, there's different forms of attacks that we feel. There's different sources. There's different reasons. Sometimes we're even intertwined in the way we feel sometimes. And so help us to be the kind of people and grow into the kind of mature faith, mature spirituality, where we can gain the perspective we need to discern the nature of an attack, the nature of a struggle, our part, the circumstantial part, the consequential part, the parts that sometimes are physical, sometimes are relational, sometimes are emotional or spiritual. Oh God, we pray for the discernment, Lord, because we, we want to be prepared for attacks during any season of our life, and especially in the wilderness. But we also want to gain the perspective so we respond well. And then God, ultimately, through these moments, Lord, give us the courage and the faith to depend on you. In prayer, where we hold out our hands up, drawing our strength from you. And where we also lean in to our brothers and sisters. Lord, as those would, those would partner in prayer with us and as we would partner in prayer for others. Oh God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the prayer emails that I get to see that go around that people are praying for each other in specific ways. Thank you for uh, just the, the, the resilience that comes in some of the samples of, of prayer partnership that I see in our church community. Thank you, God, for how you just uh, remind some people in our, in our Wednesday night prayer times this month and, and this coming month, Lord, to just pray for someone. The intercession that takes place, God. May we also be those prayer partners for others. May we be on someone's speed dial, on someone's uh, contact list to text, oh God. Because we want to be that prayer support. And God, ultimately, we just lean on your promise. We thank you for that. We know that in those moments, Lord, you're our ultimate rescue. So help us to bring all this together, God, in the application of our own lives. For some here today that are listening uh, that just long to know that Jesus is interceding for them and that your Holy Spirit is present in their lives. Oh God, may today be a day where they step forward in faith uh, to move forward to following Jesus, your son, and discover that beautiful promise in him. In your name we pray, amen.